Good evening and welcome to French Football Weekly. I'm Philippa B and I'm joined as ever by Jeremy Smith. Hi Jez. Hi. And by Rich Allen. Hi Rich. Hello. So we, it's been a week since we last spoke to you and most recently we've had some European semi-finals going on. First legs and it's not looking particularly happy for France. Uh, first up we had uh, Lyon uh, playing away at Ajax, where they lost 4-1, and then Monaco played at home to Juventus, where they lost 2-0. So, uh, looking at the Lyon game first, there were some uh, rumblings, shall we say, on Twitter about the selection pre-match, and things didn't start particularly well. Um, uh, Bertrand Traore getting a the first with a glancing header on a free kick that was probably going in anyway from Ziyech. Um, Conte Tolisso looking like he might be a bit injured. Dolberg getting a second with a run through. I mean, overall, it looked mostly like Leon really couldn't defend, which isn't great. Um, what were your views on, on how things uh, panned out? That Rich, do you have any kind of key moments to, to pull up for from that game? Um, I think one one that Leon will look back on um, with with regret was the the Fekir missed opportunity um, just after they pulled the goal back. Um, he had quite a, a a big chance to to make it three two, um, missed it, and then I think it was only a minute or so later. Um, I actually down the other end of the pitch, making it four-one. Four-one. Um, I, I mean, Olas after the game tweeted that they've done it before in Europe, um, but that was quite a different Leon team um, uh, on perhaps quite a different run of of form back then. Um, I, I can't see them turning around four-one, three-two though. You're looking at an entirely different picture. Um, so for me, that that's 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 been the apart from all the defensive mistakes, but if you were to pinpoint one thing, that Fekir miss could be the thing that that uh, just has taken that tie away from Leon. Yeah. Um, Jez, anything to add to that? Any other moments? No, I mean, I, th- I thought Leon started pretty well um, until until the first goal, and then they really collapsed. And as Rich said, I mean, 3-2 would have put a completely d- different complexion on it, but it probably also would have been um, more than harsh on Ajax. I think four-one probably was a, a better reflection of the of the play. Um, I, we'll talk, I guess, in a bit about youth um, in the context of Monaco. But um, I felt a little sorry for Toussaint and Diakabi. I know Ajax are a very young team as well, so maybe it's not such a great excuse there. But um, I thought they both looked a little bit. Overall, I think it was, I might be wrong, I think it was Toussaint who gave away the free kick that led to the first goal. And um, when it came to certainly the, the, the next, the rest of the first half and I think the second goal as well, it seemed like it was still affecting him a little bit. Um, Diakabi was a little bit overrun as well, but then he's a kid and, and Kudu next to him was pretty much just as bad. Um, with yep. obviously a lot more experience supposedly on his side. So, I don't know, I mean, you, you look at that defence and I'm I'm a bigger fan of Morel than some other people are, but still going into a European semi-final with that, that 
sort of back line doesn't inspire a huge amount of confidence. Again, with Diakabi, yeah. purely because of his age, the other three really should have should have played better. Um, yeah, they did spend quite a lot of time kind of running forlornly after people who were already way past them or kind of standing still on the fourth goal as Traore just kind of rushed through the middle, um, which didn't didn't look good. I mean, you ship four, and if you can still say the goalkeeper didn't actually seem to have a bad game, then that's weird. I mean, it says something about the defence. I mean, I think uh, who scored had him making 12 saves, the most in the Europa League this season. The, the he... commentator at the end said... Ajax have scored four, it could have been 44, which was a slight mm. exaggeration, but it still gives you a bit of an idea. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he did great, because if we move on to the next game of the evening, I think a, a very big view is that Monaco were good, but just crashed it repeatedly into a wall called Gigi Buffon. And uh, according to Opta, he made five saves. Now, they were all really good saves, but the amount of work he had to do was not uh, not at l- kind of Lopez's level. Um, I mean, when we look at the Monaco results, they're the free-scoring, free-wheeling goal machines of Europe, and Juve are, you know, the, the stingy defensive sods, as it were, and yet Juve won 2-0. This is the first time Monaco have failed to score at home since November 2015, a run of 41 games, I believe. Uh, they were undone by a double from Iguain, both assists from Dani Alves. Now, this one, obviously, given the nature of the competition, it was the one that got most of the attention. Um, looking at it, the stats looked really close. So what was it that gave Juve the, the two-goal advantage? Was it Buffon? Was it experience? Was it street smarts? What's the, the impression you get? I mean, for me, it's, it's I suppose, a little, little bit of all of that. I mean, you, you look at the two results. To me, the, the Lyon one is, I don't know if I was going to say unforgivable. Maybe that's a bit strong, but I, I do think that was a pathetic result. The Monaco one, um, certainly looking at the performance itself, I don't think you can say that. You, I mean, you have to remember it, it is overall a, lo- a young team, a tired team. Um, you've got one of their most influential players not only out but replaced by someone who I still don't really understand how he, how Sidibe can be classed as a defender. I think he's good going forward. I just don't think he's a defender. And whether it's right back or left back, I'm never convinced by him. And I don't think it's a coincidence that both of the goals came from his flank. Um, and you know, Mendy, I think would have been, if he'd been fit, would have been better in defence and possibly just kept Alves back a little more, just because he's you know, quite rightly Mendy's developed such a great reputation going forward that it might have given Alves Alves a little bit more to think about, and he wouldn't maybe have been so keen to go forward. Um, Fabinho and Bakayoko didn't have their best matches, but you know it happens and. They're both still young. Bakayoko's playing with a, a big, uncomfortable mask on his face. I'm not saying it's an excuse. If you're fit enough to play, then you're fit enough well, to play. Well, I but think, what was it Was it? Was it? Rich said, is, is he able to see properly uh, with, that, with that mask on? Yeah, because I mean, it, it did look sometimes like he was kind of 
caught on the hop. It didn't look great. I mean, I'm I'm not excusing the I'm not excusing it in the sense that if there were any issues, then he shouldn't have played. But I'm at the same time I'm absolving him of you know some of the stick. I know Rich got wound up on Twitter today. <laughs> some of the stick that he's got, which he just didn't deserve. And you know the fact is, as you said, Booth on five saves, but um, crucial ones, two of them in particular, I think. You know Mbappe that he had the header, which was pretty basic saves. Unfortunately, he didn't connect. But his second chance, I think, on only six, 16 minutes, where he sort of ran to the the near post and flicked it. I thought it was a, it was you know there was nothing more that Monaco could have done. It was a lovely cross by Dirar that Mbappe met it well. Buffon was in the right place at the right time, and then even at the end, the, the flick over the bar from Germain that would have made it 2-1, um, you know, still going to Juventus with a deficit, with a one-goal deficit isn't great, but it certainly would have changed the complexion a bit. I just think, you know, Juventus are a, a very good, very wily team. Um, you know, Benucci and Chiellini know when to, to um, you know, do a sneaky foul when they need to. Chiellini actually, I think, I think was lucky not to be sent off. Um, I don't know. It was one. Of, it was one of those days, and the fact is, at at the stage, Juventus are a better team than than Monaco. So I really don't think there's any shame in losing to them. It's just a pity because there are a couple of what might have been moments. Yeah. Definitely. I think, um, you know, when you, you look at that kind of centre-back or three-man defence uh, situation, that's the reason why Buffon only had to deal with fewer uh, occasions. And the key thing is he does when he has to. Um, Rich, uh, apart from the Bakayoko defence that you've been putting up, uh, anything else you want to say about, about that match? I think it was just a case of this is... This is... This Juventus team is the best team this Monaco side have faced, um, with, without a doubt. Um, you know, they 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 went in as sort of underdogs in the previous two games. They were heavy underdogs in this game, and it and it told. I think the 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 occasion got to them. Uh, I think understandable when you consider that for the most part, certainly. I think 99% of that side have never played in a match as big as this before. So I think, you know, that that has to be that has to be forgiven. I think, you know, it's there's a lot of young players in this team. Um, but you know what? You know, you saw Mbappe. Mbappe, fairly quiet game. Still saw so many glimpses of just how great a player he is and certainly will become. Um, you know, he he did cause Juventus some some trouble at times and. Uh, I can't like it was at Bartaglia, I think, after the game, said, you know, I've played against many young players, but Mbappe is almost something else. Um, so I think, you know, as Jez said, going out to Juventus in the semi-final of the Champions League, you'd have handed that to Monaco and they'd have snapped your hand right off at the start of the season. So I don't think they can have any, any issues there. Um, for me, it's just making sure it now doesn't affect their league form. Um, you know they they only now need a couple of wins. Should pick those up fairly straightforward. But how, you know, will this will this loss when you know such a big occasion they built it up, built it up, built it up, and then have just been deflated by that defeat? Can they can they recover in time? So you know, all all in all, it wasn't a good night at the office for them. They they didn't play at their best, but 
I think there were mitigating circumstances that you can take into account with them. Definitely. And looking at the the league, obviously we had a, a very interesting <laughs> round of results uh, last weekend. Um, OL um, laboured a little to beat uh, Man Angers on Friday night. Monaco ended up running out reasonably comfortably, 3-1 against Toulouse. Um, the big game was Sunday night's game where Nice faced PSG. And oh my lord, oh my word. Um, so Nice ran out 3-1 winners. Bear in mind they're still missing several key players through injury with player. Um, at, but they absolutely kind of weren't on the beach. Uh, they were very much in the stadium and doing what they needed to do. Mario Balotelli opened the scoring. There was an absolutely glorious goal from um, Pereira for the second. Marquinhos got one back for PSG and then things kind of degenerated late on disciplinary-wise, shall we say. Um, PSG had Motta sent off Donis, who'd only been on the pitch for about a quarter of an hour, got the third. And then Angel Di Maria was also sent off. So PSG finished, albeit for about 30 seconds, with nine men. I mean, is that uh, late combustion a sign of the utter frustration of PSG realising that they weren't getting back into the title race. Is that it? Um, what on earth happened, basically? Um, Jess, any any view on that? I think, um, first of all, got to give Nice credit, because I thought they played fantastically. Um, Favre, yet again, got everything right. Um, what I love is that um, Ricardo Pereira had a brilliant start of the season at full-back, um, gets injured, Suke comes in, plays brilliantly, so let's stick them both in, have one in front of the other, and it wasn't a sort of um, France against Spain in Euro 2010, two defensive right-backs, it's two attacking right-backs, and you know, Ricardo's brilliant, had a bit of a say in the first goal, scored a brilliant second, um, I thought Nice were fantastic, and Cardinal also, I think we mentioned last week, maybe he's a bit um, unlucky not to make the the four nominations for best keeper of the year, but he had a, he had a great game too. From PSG's side, it's I think there's a lot of frustration spilling over. Um, I'm going to start off by sort of defending them a little bit. They're they've basically lost they've lost two matches I think in 2017, and it happens to be the two biggest matches I guess of their season and you know that's really not a bad record and um, I think they're set to either they're already on or they're set to beat the number of points they got three of the four times they've been champions or something like that so um, I'm not going to say I feel sorry for them but in any other season you, you know they, they would be walking away with it again but the fact is, against the two top teams, Monaco and Nice, out of 12 points, I think they've got... Um, they haven't won any of them. Is it just yeah. two draws, I think? Um, so, you know, and then obviously the the second Barcelona match. As we, as we keep saying every year, 
because of the way PSG play, generally the, the season sort of comes down to those two or three matches, and um, they've been found wanting. And I think it's something that it seems to be a little bit of a vicious circle. Um, you know, the, the results cause various levels of frustration, but there seems to be some very nervy people around there that maybe cause those bad results. We've talked before about Silver bottling big matches and falling further and further back. Emery, again, a bit like that second Barcelona match this week, was sort of, um, you know, looked like he was about to have a, a cardiac arrest any second on the touchline, um, which, you know, doesn't help calm, calm the nerves on the pitch. You've got Motta and Di Maria, who are supposed to be two of the more um, mature players um, losing it basically. Um, Motta, I don't think anyone's that surprised really. It's just that he didn't nope. get away with it this time. But Di Maria, you don't really expect him to. I mean, sometimes you don't expect him to break into a run, let alone a flying, dangerous tackle like that. And then possibly, maybe, you know, it's an essay discussed, but um, Al, Al Khalifi. Never not sure how to pronounce it, so sorry if that's wrong. But his comments after the match, you know, how much of all the PSG problems, as relative as they are, are down to him? And you know, does he really know about football? Does he really know what he's doing? And coming he, out with he, he those does, comments as, about as the you said, kind of uh, might not be helping in keeping calm heads throughout the camp, as it were, yeah. given the the. The reaction he has. I mean, I mean no one knows. No one really knows who, what Clivert's doing. You look at sort of. He, he's looking bewildered and baffled at television screens from what you can see from the the backstage footage. Yeah, I mean, I, when, they're too, when, when they're, the red cards went off, he just looked like he had no idea what was going on or what to do about it. They're two. Um, they're two big so. signings of the the summer and and the winter, arguably are um, Locelso and. Guedes, you know, what influence or even number of appearances have they had between them? Um, Lokelso, I think, is with PSG now, isn't he? Did he, did he yeah. arrive in January? Yeah. Look, well, I think um, it, it does. It does come down to the the the, the um, signings that they've made and how poor actually they've been. I think you look at yeah, Jesse and Ben Arthur as well. You look at yeah, you look at the summer transfer window. You look at the winter transfer window. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've probably got one and a half, maybe maybe two, if I'm, I might be being a bit harsh, two good signings of all the signings they made, and Draxler and Thomas Mounier. I think the yeah. rest have just been, for want of a better word, rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you saw at Nice, uh, I think there were banners up, but there were, there were at least chants saying, Hatton, we love you, Hatton, Hatton, we love you, uh, because he worked there at mm -hmm. Nice in that situation and at the juggernaut maybe didn't as much I mean looking at the the stats from that game I Nice won 3-1 according to Opta they only had three shots on target uh, Kevin Trapp is in the UNFP list for best uh, goalkeeper I think. Uh, PSG had 66% possession, 16 shots to 6, 90% pass completion to 76. I mean, they, in a sense, they shouldn't have lost that game, but they did. This is why, you know, stats is not obviously everything, but it does tell you that this is a team that is, in a sense, 
doing everything right in a technical sense, but still not actually getting it right when it matters. As you said, Jez, there's maybe, you know, one or two key games a season, and that's when the problems happen. They roll over the people they're meant to roll over, but then there's kind of issues in those those tighter encounters. Yeah, I mean, I, again, sort of in their defence, they should have had a penalty. But then at the same yeah. time, Cavani probably should have been sent off as well. So, um, yeah. and, and they played Bastia at the weekend, so they're probably going to win that uh, quite comfortably. And it probably won't mean an awful lot, which is, in a sense, weird. But I suppose that's that's how things kind of pan out. So, looking forward to the next round of games, we've got... Uh, um, PSG are playing Bastia, and we finish with Marseille-Nice, which may not be particularly important for anything, but with a bit of luck should be fabulous fun. But what are the other key games we see in uh, the next round? Mostly down at the bottom. Uh, Rich, uh, are there any you'd pick out to to be key games coming up? Um, for me, I would probably pick. I mentioned it earlier, actually. I, I would probably look at Nancy Monaco. Um, it's you know, it's it's sort of top v bottom. Um, it's going to be interesting to see and make sure how composed Monaco can be after their Juventus game, which I've mentioned. It's also then a massive, you know, it's a, all, all the remaining games for Nancy now are becoming massive. Um, you know, they suffered that um, defeat to, to Mets last weekend. Um, massive defeat to Le- Mets last weekend. Um, so it, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a, a mammoth game for them. They're going to want to try and look to exploit any kind of fears that that Monaco will have or, or a drop in morale after the defeat, any, you know, rabbit in the headlights being so close to, to winning the title. So uh, that 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 will be a, uh, well, I think that should be a good game. Um, I don't have the greatest of, of form of picking what's a good game and what isn't, but um, I think that because of the repercussions that that's going to have at the top and at the bottom, um, it's probably a game to keep an, a, a close eye on. Yeah, from the old lady to Nancy, as it were. Um, looking elsewhere with kind of uh, relegation-involved teams, uh, Gangon-Dijon looks like it might be interesting because Gangon have got basically nothing to do here where Dijon are fighting for their lives. Um, Jez, is there any uh, other game that you'd uh, pick out on, on that front? Um, I'm just going to quickly just mention one thing again about Mets Nossi, which is that um, Ismail Assar spoke about Cardinal, Ismail Assar arguably is unlucky to miss out on young young player of the year just because they're such a strong category, but he scored his basically third goal of the season contender um, of 2017 against Nossi and then was I mean, how Nossi finished with 11 men, I've got no idea because he was absolutely butchered. But he was butchered because he was fantastic. And I, whether it's at Mess or somewhere else, he's definitely one to look out for in the future. But um, elsewhere, I think, apart from those matches that you mentioned, and again, Dijon somehow are still not um, creeping out of that danger zone, even though it still feels like they should be. 
I think um, Lorient Angers could be could be a good one to watch because Angers in a similar way to Gagon, they're kind of mid-table, don't have anything to play for, obviously, apart from the Coupe de France. They've so. lost five on the spin. It's the worst form in Liga. They genuinely don't seem to to care that much at the moment. So well, I think especially yeah. that if they've if they've got the cup finals, you can imagine that they're not exactly like steaming into tackles or anything. Um, and as as we said, also they they've been pretty unlucky against Monaco, PSG, and Lyon as well. So, um, but I think they're probably safe now. Um, they're on the same points as Mess, and I don't feel like Mess is safe, but they're probably okay. Well, they're on the same points as Montpellier as well. I think um, Team Thirty Nine could technically still be in trouble, but probably not. It's it, it's not this weekend that's the issue. It's Game Thirty Seven because in Game Thirty Seven you've got Bastia playing Lorient and Dijon playing Nancy, so they're all going to hit each other, as it were. Yeah, and we've got, I think. Montpellier and Angers play at some point. Somebody above them also plays um, a, a game before. So the, there's a degree of the traditional six-pointer coming in, which will be game 37. Could be an absolute, absolute doozy on the multiplex because there will be a lot at stake at that, that end of the table. Yeah, so, I think that, that's another reason why this is a for Lorient, a really big match. You know, their last home match smashed Mess 5-1, and then last week, sort of a cruel late defeat to Nantes, although apparently they were lucky to, to take it that far. Um, I think Leconte had a, a brilliant match. Um, but, you know, back on home territory in, I think, reasonable home form, I think that that's a match that Lorient should be looking at, thinking, you know, we have to get three points, and yeah. you know, if we do, we're probably well set for for the running. I would I would probably just add one more one more game to to you know, we've said probably quite a few, but um, Toulouse v Khan. Uh, I think the um, the free fall that Khan are in recently. I mean, it's it seems a, a, an eternity since they uh, they last got a win. I think it's back in end of February time, I think. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're desperate for points. Bear in mind then that their two games after it are probably a, a banker of a three points because they're at home to Rennes, but then finish away at PSG. You know, they're, they're going to be want from those last three games, they're going to be wanting six points. So it's, it's, it's um, you know, as with a lot of those clubs at the bottom, it is a massive must-win game for Carl. It is indeed. And um, if we move on to kind of any other business, we've talked about a couple of managers so far, maybe Genesio's under a bit of pressure at Lyon. Uh, there's been rumours about uh, Christophe Galtier leaving Saint-Étienne. Obviously, Emery may be in a bit of bother at PSG. Um, are there any... Um, kind of movements or stories coming out uh, on the managerial fronts that uh, are worth keeping an eye on? I, I'm, I'm, it's that Gautier one for me because it, it seems such a definitive statement that they came out and said well, it wasn't the club. I'm caveat that it wasn't the club but there seems such a confident outlet I suppose in, in the media saying 
Galtier's going at the end of the season, Ligon's longest serving manager's off. And now we're, you know, a few days later and nothing seems to be properly confirmed. Club have come out and sort of said, no, he's not. Galtier's remained completely tight-lipped on it. Um, Which is unusual. It is, it is. But everything that leading up to that rumour coming out of him leaving, everything leading up to him that he'd said would indicate, actually, you know what, there's some truth in that rumour. He'd been having a whinge about, um, primarily he'd been having a whinge about the um, uh, sort of recruitment of the club and that they needed to be focusing on bringing in some younger, more talented players. And, you know, he chucked the likes of Nolan Roo, uh, Brian Darbo and is it Usman Tanan, I think. He chucked them down to the reserves and everything seemed to think, OK, perhaps, you know what, we've all been saying, has he taken them as far? Does he need a fresh start? Does Santetian need a fresh start? And then, actually, you know what, it's not, it's not been confirmed. So, I, w- I would imagine, yes, he will go. What I then don't know, uh, and it's it's something for a further debate and further talk, I suppose, at a later date, is who on earth does Saint-Étienne bring in? Uh, and who would... who? It's a weird thing because the club and the setup and the fans should make it attractive, for the history of the club should make it attractive, but Gautier's had to work bloody hard for not a lot of reward and not a lot of money... Um, yeah. to to get what he's got out I mean, of them, so I don't I, I don't know who it, he's got. It, it, it's 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 one of those arguments when you say has he taken them as far as they can go, vice versa, etc. I one thing you know, I mean, I've been the Europa League correspondent for the sorry for for some time. Um, his apparent inability to make in-game changes to recognise when he's made a selection error and change it. If things are going badly, his response seems mostly to be yelling and waving his arms around on the sideline rather than doing anything about it. And you look at the calibre of the player he's got, that seems a bit weird to me. I just, I'm not sure if he's got all of the energy needed, all of the the tactical nous needed to to change, uh, to, to get Saint-Étienne kind of to, to their level because it you look at the players they've got, they it does seem like they should be better than this. They've kind of stagnated in the league recently. They're, they're seventh, but they're way off sixth. And they just don't look very convincing at the moment. And they should look convincing, um, I, I think, think. Is, is my argument. Jez, do you... When, Does that sound weird? When Rich was doing that summary of, of uh, the state of affairs there, I was thinking about how much it sounded like David Moyes at Everton. And then when you added the thing about tactics and mid-game changes, it sounded even more like it. Um, so, I mean, possibly that remains to be seen, but maybe a good analogy that you know he was the right person for the right club at the right time. And, and then he's, yeah, we'll see whether he's overachieved or not. And you know, a lot will depend on who comes in, what kind of money they get, and likewise with him, if and when he decides to move somewhere else, will, will he, um, you know, make hay when he's given better resources, or will it turn out that, that Saint Etienne was was kind of his limit as well? Um, but I, yeah, when it was announced that he was leaving, I don't think it felt 
that surprising. It, it, he no. just seems tired this year, you know, as you said about being tight-lipped. I mean, in general this year he's been tight-lipped, which is, you know, there hasn't, doesn't seem to be the same fire there has been before. And yeah, there's been just issues with, you know, Mounier coming and then the fans basically get, getting rid of him and even Perrin threatening to, to leave if he didn't get um, the sort of contract terms that he wanted. And, you know, I'm not, I've, I don't know to what extent. I wouldn't have thought that, that Gautier has much of a say in that kind of thing anyway. But I think all of this kind of thing adds up. Um, apparently he needs an operation as well and that was possibly in his thinking. Um, I think he's probably just tired and needs to recharge batteries. I'm, it's, you know, it seems to happen with the high-profile. Well, I was going to say high-profile clubs like Barcelona. It only seems to happen at Barcelona, sort of Guardiola and and Enrique now. Um, but you know, a lot of these managers function under such pressure that I'm surprised it doesn't happen more that a manager just walks away saying, you know what, yeah. I'm just I'm shattered. <laughs> well, I think uh, you know. As we said, he's the longest-standing Liga manager, so in a sense that builds up the pressure without ever having a release. Yeah, I think he's the longest-standing manager co- in Europe after Wenger. So. Yeah, if you shifted around every couple of years, you at least get a change as good as a rest. Yeah, exactly. So, so that might be an issue. Um, on any other other business, as it were, um, that we want to cover. I know the under seventeens, I believe, were not massively impressive recently. In yeah, they they, they opened their European Championship account yesterday against Hungary. Um, they scored. France actually took the lead with a really great finish from one of another of Lyon's good youngsters. I think it's Greery. But then um, Hungary equalised a minute later and just effectively. I mean, it was. The defending was Lyon-esque, kind of just standing ah. around for pretty much for uh, certainly two of Hungary's three goals. It was more or less sort of after you kind of thing, just letting the players waltz through. So, um, yeah, a little bit of work to do in their next two group stages if they want to progress. It certainly doesn't look quite as impressive as the slightly older age groups at the moment. And uh, a word for the Women's Champions League, where PSGOL have set up uh, another game uh, between themselves. Um, this will also include uh, the run to the end of the season. The penultimate game in Division R, I think, is at Lyon uh, versus PSG. And they're also going to be playing the Coupe de France Feminine final as well. So we've got, you know, boatloads of PSGOL to see there. Um, I'm still holding out hope that Montpellier can hold on in Divan to get the, the second spot behind OL because they are currently second uh, with PSG third um, <coughs> to make it a little bit more kind of broken up next season but we'll, we'll have to see um, and so on that we've got a cracking round of games coming up this weekend starting with Saint-Étienne versus Bordeaux on Friday night um, PSG play Bastia on Saturday afternoon. We've got the multiplex with several of those games involving the relegation teams on Saturday evening. Um, Finishing on Sunday night with Marseille-Nice, which, as I said, with a bit of luck, should be enjoyable chaos for the neutral. um, Can I do my quick ever rant? (laughs) Jez can do his quick ever rant. (laughs) When I say quick... We're starting a clock. Go <laughs> okay. For it. Basically, 
everyone knows what I think of Evra. I think he's been a disgrace for too much of his career. Um, he's been found wanting um, in big matches for France. He was the uh, captain who led the mutiny and refused to get off the bus and made more fuss about there being a mole in the camp with the whole Anelka Neisner thing in South Dick. Africa. Um, he's Dick. previously... He won't take criticism from anyone. Um, he's previously done these ridiculously scripted things, making crappy nicknames for correspondents like Kubis and Fernandez and people like that. Anyway, this week he took offence at a bit of criticism from Dugari and made some lewd comment about implying that Dugari has only got where he has because he's friends with Zidane. Basically said that Dugari has more idea than anyone else in the world about how many pubic hairs Zidane has got, which is a really classy way for a supposed sort of ambassador of the game to act. Um, and Dugari quite rightly has massively laid into him, said, you know, maybe he should spend a little bit more time um, thinking about how he plays football, how he's been absolutely awful for Marseille, how even against Caen, any danger that Caen caused was all down Everest's side, how he had four chances to put in very basic crosses and failed to, to connect with any of them. It wasn't just Dugari, there was a very good editorial in Lekip slagging him off and just kind of saying, you know, considering the stuff that you've done, considering the way you've brought the country to shame, how dare you... Um, sort of presume to criticize European champions and world champions um, and you know stop you know you're obviously desperately angling for some kind of post football media career with your ridiculous panda crap and you're finishing every stupid fucking soundbite with I love this game and all this rubbish I personally as you, I mean I'm not saying anything I haven't said before but I think he's a disgrace and uh, yeah, I just I don't understand how some people lap it up, whatever it takes, all sorts. But there's my rant. <laughs> okay, I think we possibly need a new spot on the podcast, or if not the website, Jez has a go at pandas. I, I think don't I missed no, a couple I'm, of I'm other in, points, pa- mate. In, in that pandas of in fine. that spirit, can I have fifteen seconds on Tiago Silva? <laughs> oh. Jesus Christ. He got six at the weekend. It wasn't a seven. The note in L'Equipe was a six. They lost 3-1. He was terrible. He got a six. Uh, go ahead. Uh, 15, 15 seconds on Thiago Silva. Why I don't like him. Uh, this is thanks to Jez bringing this to my attention. Uh, they lose 3-1 to Nice. And Thiago Silva comes out and says, finishing third would be an utter um, catastrophe, catastrophe. For, for, for PSG. Because we'd have a shorter holiday. <laughs> now, uh, no, I, I hate myself, but I am going to be the guy's French is not fabulous. If he meant a shorter break, I mean, he wasn't necessarily saying we're going to be out in Miami by a swimming pool. I mean, yeah, no, I've got nothing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm uh, no, it, yeah. that was that was embarrassing. No, it, yeah, that that's it for me. I, I don't. Yeah. So there was there was that there was Motta there was Di Maria, you know PSG not looking a particularly happy place at the moment. Who were they trying to buy right now? I can't remember, but it's like whatever. Or Bamiyang. Um, so ruin. They're going to ruin all Bamiyang. God no. And Alexis right, Sanchez, so. who obviously never gets into hissy fits or moods when it's not going his way. But to be fair, 
footballers with animals uh, will be able to have lots more continental coverage <laughs> in that case. So we have this great game 36 coming up. It's only three games to go. There's uh, still a lot to play for. Monaco could sew this up. Um, the relegation battle is just becoming more chaotic by the minute. Uh, the other European places look pretty much set, so it's basically jockeying for position from now on. So the relegation battle is the one we want to be looking at. So that's Nancy, Monaco, Gangrom, um, Dijon, uh, Lorient uh, versus Angers, and seeing if Caen can do anything at all against uh, Toulouse. So we will be watching that and bringing you all the updates and we'll be back next week with another pod to round up all of the action and the second legs of the mildly depressing European semi-final ties. Uh, so with that, um, goodbye from me, Philippa B, and from Jeremy Smith. Bye. And from Rich Allen. Goodbye. And we will speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.